Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the controls as we continue to navigate golf's roads less travelled. We're recording this episode on Australia Day 2023, and just by coincidence, that is going to be particularly relevant, as you'll hear when we get underway in just a moment. Now, we don't get a lot of listener feedback here at Good Good, which is actually generally a positive sign, but it was a Twitter message from a listener which sparked today's show, and I'm hoping it's going to be a particularly interesting one. We'll welcome special guest Glenn Chisholm in just a moment to talk all things golf and Indigenous Australia, but before that, let me introduce my co-host for today, yes, co-host Singular as we're missing Jimmy Emmanuel, courtesy of your prior commitment. So it's just me and Adrian Logue today. Logue, this should be an interesting discussion on a facet of the game I've not given enough thought to and I know precious little about, that being the relationship that golf has with Indigenous Australia. Indeed, and I've viewed this episode as an opportunity to examine you know, my own thoughts on that, and uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yep. Indeed, indeed. Well, as I mentioned, today's episode is the direct result of a Twitter direct message I received last week from someone previously unknown to me, Glenn Chisholm. Now, first I'm going to read out what Glenn wrote, then we're going to have a chat to him about the specific issues that he raises. Hi, Roddy begins, and that's already one up, I think, because most people think this is your show, Logue. <laughs> so Glenn's had a victory already simply by acknowledging <laughs> I at least had some He didn't some call you part. Rob either. And he didn't call me Rob, so that's two up already. Hi, Rod. Big fan of all your podcasts. Three up. I've listened to every episode of State of the Game, and I'm up to May 2021 of Good Good Golf. I just wanted to reach out and see if you have done any content on Indigenous golf in Australia. As I'm an Aboriginal man who's completely mad about golf, I'd love to find out or hear more stories on this subject. Thanks, Glenn. Well, the short answer is no, we haven't, but we have Glenn here today to help us fill that terrible gap in our resume. Glenn, I don't think you expected to end up here when you fired off that message, but it's good to have you. We appreciate you taking some time. No, like I said, thanks for the opportunity, and I definitely was not expecting to be able to be invited to a podcast. Well, I mean, you'll, let, yeah. you'll think twice before you start firing. That's right. Let messages. this be a warning to all the listeners out there. If you start yeah. direct messaging, you could get on here. So. That's exactly right. <laughs> Golf mad, Glenn. How did that happen? Um, well, I've always enjoyed the game as a kid. You know, I probably found – I hear you talk about the old wooden three woods back in the day. Um, I found one – as a kid, just scourging through the bush one day and started hitting a rock around with that and sort of caught the bug from there, mm -hmm. just out camping. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I was 32, 33, 2016, I think, I got invited out by a work colleague to go and actually play some golf. So I tried to catch the bug quick, went and bought myself a $180 set of golf clubs, went out for a little hit. Three months later, I became a member of my golf club here in the Riverland. So bought a three thousand dollars set of golf clubs and began the journey. The, 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 the bills, the bills slowly climbing each each and every week. I try to stay off a, <laughs> as much as many golf websites as I can. So good luck with that. That's a long break between finding a three wood in the bush and then coming to the game in a more formal way, the way you have now. What was the relationship with golf in between, and what more broadly? Not to ask you to speak on behalf of a whole bunch of people you don't necessarily know. What is the relationship between Indigenous Australians and golf? Where did you grow up and where do you live now? So I grew up in the Riverland in a um, small town in Barry. I uh, still live in Barry. And where, in where is life. that for those of us who don't? Barry's in the, um, uh, about three hours from Adelaide, okay. hour and a half from Mildura, okay. if you go between the two borders. Yep. yep. So in South Australia here. Um, and I guess i've always been into sport mm -hmm. constantly played sport football cricket tennis all of that so golf was always sort of there you know you'd always hear folks at the footy club always talking about just going for a hit of golf um and i guess i never really followed up with it i made have went out and had a couple of hits every now and then but i guess as a junior as a kid my my relationship was golf was more out camp and we played bush golf We'd just go out with the old wooden three wood oh. I found and smack rocks around the campsite for a bit of fun and yeah. things that, like that. It's not so much on a course itself. Now, this it puts mm. me in mind, and I don't think I'm not going to draw some direct correlation between Indigenous people and golf, but golf has a problem with exclusion, doesn't it, Logue? Mm. In, and not even necessarily malicious exclusion. Um, people are just excluded from the game for all sorts of kind of reasons. Did you feel that? Glenn, or was it something you never gave a thought to? We see a lot of Aboriginal people in football in particular, in the AFL, some of the greatest players in history have been Aboriginal yes. players. But in other sports, we don't see it as much, I don't feel, including yeah. in golf. Yeah. So as a kid, I, I suppose, in, like you said, growing up, watching football, there was always Indigenous superstar. 
from Michael Long to Gavin Wanganing, two of my heroes. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I went down that football path. When it came to golf, VJ Singh at the time when I was growing up was the darkest man playing golf. And were you drawn to so, that? I mean, is it is it yeah, too cliche you know, to say seeing, that black kids want to see black golfers? Is that cliche to say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. For me, seeing a coloured face playing golf was, was a great experience. And I thought, well, maybe could do that. But as you guys have mentioned many a time, the, the golf club environment has always been a little bit confronting, I guess is the best word to use. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to make sure that you feel welcome when you're there. Mm. And as uh, I, for myself as a kid, didn't really feel welcome going, you know, I'd rock up if I did go to the golf course and go and hit a few balls and, You'd have that old thing of someone coming running down the fairway, and are, are you lost? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the are you lost, or mm. you, you, you know, if you just, even if you're just out there having a little putt on a on, on the thirteenth, we used to go and putt because it was the closest hole to the road. So you hop the fence, it was only a small little two wire fence, but you'd go through the fence and you'd just putt around, and all of a sudden you'd told. If you're going to do it, there's a practice putting green back at the clubhouse, but it was confronting. Mm. So you just pick your ball up and head back home. So, uh, And I think that's probably all over the landscape Yeah, for, for juniors. Well, for not, and for non-golfers, confronting. Glenn. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure that's an Indigenous-only thing, although there may be another element to it if you're Aboriginal where there's a race yeah. element as well. But that's true for non-golfers yeah. that we just don't welcome them, do we? Or we don't make them feel welcome, yeah. even though we might not mean to make them sort of feel unwelcome. Mm. It, it's interesting because golf is a, actually a pretty cheap sport to get into. Very much. Like Glenn, Glenn found a club and just started hitting rocks. Particularly rurally, I think. In rural Australia, Absolutely. much cheaper than in urban Australia. And especially for juniors. Junior memberships are extremely cheap. But, of course, this issue with golf clubs being everything from being extremely poorly signposted to, like, just not mm-hmm. um, being unwelcoming and being – and probably, you know, for in, Indigenous kids, it's probably unwelcoming for their parents as well to, like, be mm-hmm. coming to drop the kids off or something. You know, that's uh, – the whole experience is probably intimidating. intimidating, yeah. But in a way, I do think that exclusionary, exclusionary past of golf um, – provides it with an opportunity where it can be a much more strong symbol of inclusion. Uh, like it's, it'd be a very powerful message for golf to be sending to say, um, you know, you're welcome here. In fact, we want you here. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's an opportunity I think that yeah, golf has. How many Aboriginal members are there at the club? What club are you a member at now, Glenn? And how many other Aboriginal at, members are there? At the Berry Golf Club, I'm a member there. Um, and from my last thing, I reckon there's only two of us. Okay. So yeah, why do is that you... representative of the community? No, I, it's a fairly large Aboriginal Aboriginal community here, but again, I don't think golf is, and that's where golf has sort of fallen behind in the aspect of not selling itself to the Indigenous community. Um, you know, most young Aboriginal kids grow up wanting to be football superstars because that's what they see. Um, the golf isn't really sold in the community that well. Now, our, our club's got a great junior program that's just start that started up over the last few years, and they're thriving. And we've had a few young Indigenous kids come through it. Unfortunately, they haven't stuck with it. Um, you know, that's early mornings and other commitments, other sporting commitments. They sort of just come out for a hobby or come out for a swing. But, yeah, um, there's, still, there's still that barrier there, and I think exposure is probably the biggest thing. There's still the exclusion factor. Importantly, what you've described there, where you've had some young Indigenous kids come and take part in the program, that's almost more important than them staying is they've had the exposure because what we do know about golf is if you have that, later in life you'll come back to it. Golf is the second sport for just about everyone who plays footy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, definitely, definitely. I I don't know how many other blokes I've come across, uh, even family, cousins, things like that, that went off, played all their football, by the time they hit their 30s, mid-30s, early 40s, they're out on the golf club yep. having a swing because the body's broken down, can't take them hits in footy anymore. So yep. let's go and have a walk and swing a club. And, so. 
interestingly, it's a demographic that golf misses badly and it shouldn't, both men and women who've been competitive in other sports at amateur level. Mm-hmm. In that age bracket, 30 to 40, golf should pursue them because those people are looking to – the competitive fire doesn't die, just the hips and the shoulders and the knees give up mm-hmm. and they can't do those other sports. And when you meet those people who found golf – they are the golfers that spend and spend big and get really committed to golf. And we just don't do anything, I don't think, in golf to sort of attract and appeal to those people. What's the experience of being a member? Okay, I imagine as a white Australian that you walk around constantly feeling like an Aboriginal Australian, and that's different to my experience. Is that true, Glenn? Am I yeah, right about yeah. that? I'm, I'm very proud of who I am and where I come from and what my culture and heritage is. And I embrace it every step I get. Um, being being light skinned, I you know still get questioned: Are you Aboriginal? When I raise the issue, sometimes, and then they hear me talk, and people click on soon. Or I quite proudly wear my Indigenous shirts when I go out to play golf as well. You know, just to say I am here and this is my heritage. I'm going to embrace it while I'm playing this sport because mm-hmm. I love it. So yeah, but um, the golf the golf club that I'm at now, they're there's no barriers there. There's no prejudice. You know, everyone's really good and they all, they all get along really well. And no one looks at you different good. because yeah. you're Aboriginal. You're, you're just a golfer. You're like everybody else. Yeah. I was about to say, um, one, one of the great things about golf is that it has this universal language, doesn't it? And experience for, yeah. from Tiger Woods right down to the, mm. the worst golfers on the planet. We share something, all of us. All, all, sport, yeah. all sport really has that That's probably power to unite yeah. and um, bring golf, people together. Is golf a bit unique? Uh, it may be. Like, you know, you can – there, Can you be a bit unique? <laughs> Sorry. No, that's terrible. No, you can't. Um, but, yeah, there's probably no other sport where you're spending four or five hours with people who you wouldn't – like politically separate mm-hmm. views or vastly different life experiences that you wouldn't uh, – uh, otherwise have an opportunity to spend any time with at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that four or five hours, you probably wouldn't talk about politics any or any of the stuff that you disagree all. about. That's right. You talk about golf courses and whatnot. Glenn? Yeah, and that, that's probably like my first experience. When I first became a member, I um, finally got my handicap, did my three rounds, got my handicap. And first time I put my name down, I just chucked it down with a name I recognised, and that was a local doctor that I went to as a kid. Oh, nice. So, and I went to school with his with his son and daughter. And but then when we went out and played, it, you know, that was the experience. I was with uh, playing golf with a doctor. I was playing golf with the owner of one of the bigger wineries in the Riverland here. And we just talked golf yep. yeah, that, and had that common interest. And there was no, no barriers about anything else and no – culture conversations or politics or anything like that it was just we were golfers and and that's sort of what i want to get across to the indigenous community at probably the most is it's just golf everyone out there your handicap's there for a reason you play a bad shot you might get laughed at that's not one or two strokes later someone else is going to give you're going to be the one laughing at someone else because they're going to put one in the trees too that's fine it doesn't matter you're not judged out there. You're just a golfer. Yeah. It, it, well, golfers do judge that. If anything, golfers are pretty prejudiced <laughs> against <laughs> against beginners. Uh, and always like if, if as long as you can be hitting as many shots as you like, you can be off you know maximum handicap. But if, as long as you're doing it quickly, golfers yeah, don't right. mind, right? Get on with it. That's but exactly. that is. Oh, the, hey, I only played a golf. I only finished my round an hour ago. I shot 111. So, but I had a great day. So, welcome, right. Glenn. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come join us. Just before we go, quickly to go down and rabbit hole, any complaints about the handicap system, Glenn? Because Logue here is just all ears. He's ready to listen. Uh, only that you know, I'm in a small country club. I shouldn't have had to sign my card when I had my best round. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear idea. That's, a, that's actually a point of order. That's a that's a rules of golf issue, not a rules of handicapping. <laughs> it's always somebody else's fault with you, isn't it? You're a magnificent deflector. You're one of the great deflectors. <laughs> You said in your original message to me, Glenn, that you were looking for uh, love to find or hear more stories on the subject of Indigenous people and golf. What were you looking for? What are you hoping to find that that isn't out there that we're trying to contribute to a bit today? What did you have in mind when you wrote that? Well, I know here in South Australia, we have a um, South Australian State Championship every year. It's only one round. 
uh, once once a year uh, of Aboriginal golfers get together, normally somewhere in Adelaide, North Adelaide. Um, I think they've played. Uh, I can't remember the name now, but it's normally around the North Adelaide area. The, the North Adelaide golf course they play, um, and you don't see much about it. Uh, maybe get one little Facebook post or something from golf Australia saying that it was on or that it's coming up. Um, and you don't see any other content now from my research of looking online. Um, all I did was Google Aboriginal golf history and I found out, you know, North New South Wales have got, uh, uh, celebrate, well, they were celebrating 40 years as New South Wales Aboriginal golf competition, uh, in Queensland, there's a Aboriginal group that just go out for a hit. There, there's groups everywhere, but the the coverage isn't there. Uh, most recently, um, there was the uh, what was it? A national championships held, I think, in Melbourne or maybe Sydney. I'm not hundred percent sure. And there was a young girl, uh, Sky Lampton, from Northern Territory that had, she admitted herself, never knew nothing about golf. And she went and took out the women's division, only taken it up recently from what I've found out. So it's sort of, to me, it's lack of coverage. I, unless you dig deep, it's hard to find the stories. Mm-hmm. A lot of the similar problems I'd imagine that golf has more broadly, which we talk about endlessly on here, about the image of the game amongst people who don't play it. And you probably find you've got the same issues at play in the Indigenous community, particularly where football's the most popular sport, particularly for boys. But yep. the image of golf is not of one, a game that's accessible to people who aren't already a part of it. And I don't know yes. how we overcome that. Uh, have you have you got any thoughts about that? I mean, coverage is one thing, obviously, but have you got any thoughts yep. about how? Because that that's a broader issue than just with Aboriginal Australia, yeah. though, it's I definitely. I, yeah. I don't think golf sees itself as competing with other sports, does it? Like the the you know football and cricket that you played a lot as a kid. Yeah, yeah, and you know to to go back to a podcast she's done. I think it was either late last year or the year before. Because like I said, I'm still catching up on good good. I suspect um, you you are more familiar with our back catalog than we necessarily <laughs> are. So we'll take. There was work. one there, one there that Mike Clayton mentioned that golf was behind ping pong. In Australia, and and I think that's you know it's it's a sport that doesn't get put out there to everybody. Now looking at and and of course the cost of it. I if I was going to look at a solution or not so much a solution but an interest point would be what Sandy Jamison does with the one club. I think that's a great cheap way to get yeah. people into golf. Now you you could buy ten or so one clubs. And do a clinic of even if it's indigenous kids, non-indigenous kids, just kids. Just put yeah, just do a clinic, and but make sure you've got them few indigenous kids there, and say we can do this with one club. They're going to have a great time, just smacking that ball around and having a laugh, mm. and and that's the gateway. That's the interest that I want to create. Mm. I want people. Now there's plenty. There's lots of indigenous golfers, but there's no big name to look at. So I think it's more of if a club can do something like that and bring it in or a school can bring it in, I think for schools, the one the one club thing for schools, for a PE project, it's like the perfect it's, thing. It's good as well. One, one of the things about the one club, which we didn't mention, I think, when Sandy was on last time, and but I've, I've chatted with Sandy about it since, and he made a really good point, which I think is worth making. For kids, that club is heavy and mm. it produces a much better swing pattern when a kid's swinging a heavy club. Like you see them with one of those plastic clubs that parents get for their kids and they immediately start doing like chopping wood. Like they come like from over the top of their head just straight down, like they're chopping a like a wooden stump or something. Like an animal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but with a with a heavy club, it, it sort of, you know, brings them into a better swing path. It's it's really good for kids to it be. It produces better golfers. Yeah. Just another tick in the one club box. It is. It is. What an affordable and – see, while you were talking there, Glenn, it just struck me. What an affordable and easy way to take golf, particularly to the bush, as we like to call it in Australia, outside urban yeah. centres. One clubs, I think they're about 40 bucks each, maybe 50 I yeah. think that might include uh, the first lesson or something. Quite it? possibly, yeah. I'd, I'd probably We'd have away, listeners giving away Sandy's fin- thing. Yeah. <laughs> we could have listeners who could finance programs all over Australia without breaking a sweat, no doubt. Yeah, and, and that's why I think one club's like, that's, to me, that, that's the perfect solution. That's the perfect mm. introduction to golf. 
is then that takes you know to me one club reminds me of me finding that old one wooden club. tree wood yeah. and just smacking a rock around and when eventually got a ball you know you'd use it to putt you'd use it to chip yeah yeah you find a thing and you think it's like you say a lot, Adrian. If golf was recreated, it's just hitting a rock with a stick, yeah. and yeah. that's how I fell in love with the game: hitting a rock with a stick. I dread to think what the grip on that three wood must have been like by the time you fired. I, <laughs> it was there was string hanging off of it, and old tattered leather. It was a it was a shocker, but it gave me a lot of fun. <laughs> Now, Glenn, there are some similarities. Well, can, I, can I just check as well, Glenn? When you said you're hitting a rock, are you talking about a top flight or like, <laughs> a pinnacle? So, what are you, what are you yeah, pinnacle. Yeah. Like, X outs, X outs, or something, or is it? Yeah, that, okay. No, sorry, carry on. Um, you, you talked about when you first started grabbing, you were hitting the rocks with it. That's somewhat different to golf. There's elements of that that are kind of what get you hooked. What's been the thing that's dragged you into golf, the more formal game with the cup and the full bag of clubs and everything that goes with it? since 2016 compared to whacking rocks through the bush with a three, which was clearly equally fun for you. Yeah. Uh, golf is my happy place. If I'm not listening to podcasts such as, as your own, which is my favourite at the moment, uh, I'm very all over that. Very, you're doing very um, well, by the way. I, I've, I've got golf on the TV in the background. I've, I'm thinking about golf. I, I, I just am immersed in the game. I, I guess I... Um, I was one of them golfers that focused hard on score. You know, you, you didn't have any talent unless you could score. Well, look down. Unless you bring that, yes, <laughs> unless you bring that handicap down. <laughs> and then, no, I, as I was saying before, I went out last year. Um, January last year was probably when I really got stuck in. I went out and I had my best Stableford round. I shot 92 and got, 42, got 41 points and forgot to sign my card. Uh-huh. So had no had no effect on the handicap, and because I well, was that so be handicapped, that that should be there's a handicap status called disqualified with a score, and that score should have been <laughs> can submitted. You, can for you retrospectively purposes. fix this for Glenn, please? Uh, well, you, speak to the club. The, <laughs> the club's your handicapping authority. They should have actually submitted that for handicapping, but disqualified you from the competition. But yeah, uh, so, and had I was just so excited. I had the greatest day of my golfing career. Um, Two days later when I realised I was knocked off the top and there was no mark next to my name on the club scoreboard, I went, well, what happened? Realised what happened. I started to look at golf different because my golf game went south real fast and I wasn't enjoying it as much because I was trying to recapture that 41 points. Mm -hmm. I started listening to State of the Game and the architecture thing came up. And enjoy just being out there. Enjoy just being outside, having a look around. Don't worry about the score. Golf is fun because it's golf. And that was what I fell in love with. I started looking more into architecture. I started looking more into just how to go out and hit a ball. So I went out one day with a five iron a pitching wedge and a putter, and I had a great time. I went out with a six iron and a putter and I had a great time I didn't need all them clubs I didn't need to keep score I didn't need to keep track I just went out and hit the ball around and I guess it brought back out being in the bush hitting that rock with Mm -hmm. that three wood did you you play some holes that aren't holes (laughs) yeah you know so at our club our first our first is the par three and the the first green is pretty much right next to the eighth green. So you sort of go, oh, well, I'll go to the eighth, uh, to the seventh green, sorry. Yep. So you tee off from the first Ooh. over the trees to the seventh green. Nice. And then go to the middle of the fairway and hit over the trees again, back to the, from the seventh fairway over the trees into the second fairway and work your way down. Just sort of zigzag across the course. Across the country golf, nice. Do some random stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just the fun and to get a bit more strategic. And, you know, I became, as you like to say, a heads-up golfer. Mm. I got sick of looking down and worrying about what was on my card. Yeah. I, I still love golf data. I what I do, but that's an enjoyment that I find in golf mm-hmm. is looking at numbers. I, I use the, uh, I don't know how you use that with plugs, but it's not a plug, I guess. I use the Arcos app. Oh yeah, I'll send them an and that gives me my 
stroke there, and that gives me my stroke gains stuff. And I, I, I just like looking at numbers yeah. as well. No, not wrong. so much that they're going to help me improve no. because they're not, but it brings another enjoyment for me. Well, that's a healthy relationship with an aspect of golf, which can very quickly go south, can't it, Logue? The look downers are often unhappy people because it's a yeah. it's a difficult place to take any joy from because the improvements are so generally small if they come at all. And there's three steps backward for every step forward, it feels like. That's right. It sounds like Glenn's already learnt there's uh, there's a fairly bleak outlook in terms of like getting good at golf. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so if your measure of your happiness in golf is just, yeah. you know, am I going to get good at this, then you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. And so, But there's nothing wrong with, I think, continuing to enjoy that aspect of it, no, score, Glenn scoring and competition and golf and stats and data and, data and all yeah, that sort absolutely. of thing. But there's so much more. Like if that's your sole measure of enjoying golf, then it could be a little bit disappointing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. That's quite the epiphany, Glenn, to have, um, particularly not long after having sort of your best score. That usually puts you on that journey, which takes quite a while to get from there to the, actually, I should be enjoying this for other reasons as well. What do you think sort of brought that on for you? I think a, a lot of golfers come to a point where they have that epiphany, where yep. it's like, you know what? This whole scorecard thing is kind of ruining it for me in a lot of ways because it's this constant measure that I can never measure up to in so yeah. many ways. But it usually takes longer than you've had a good round, forgot to sign your card, had a miserable time, and then two weeks later you're a golf nut. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that was the thing. I, I got down on myself and I just – because I didn't sign that card, I got really down on myself and thought you, you're getting depressed over not scribbling your name. Yeah. It, it's stupid. Yeah, there's nothing stopping you from going back out there next week and trying again. But you need to change the aspect, and and that was what I did. I went, well, I don't play strategic golf. It was just try and get it as in less shots. But listening to state of the game stuff, hearing a bit of architecture stuff, and I looked at, I started listening to the fried egg, and I looked at YouTube videos, and I, that was that was probably the biggest thing that created enjoyment is I stopped watching instruction videos mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and started mm-hmm. watching architecture videos, yeah, and just fell in love with the beauty of golf. Yeah. There's nothing better than watching drone footage of St Andrews, Royal Melbourne. I I, I even like uh, uh, Shinnecock Hills, mm. uh, I think that's a gorgeous course. Mm-hmm. Just that them open hilly golf courses just suck me in, and that, and that's where I say golf's my happy place. If I if I get down, I put some golf on the TV or I'll chuck a golf broadcast on, and I'll just stand in my room where I am now and I'll pull one club out and I'll just imaginary swing the. Great thing with our course is I can put in any golf course around the world and play a pre- preview round, mm. and I'll fall into a dream. It'll be all I'm birdies playing. and eagles as wow. well. Yeah, yeah. Do, so it's even got Augusta on there, so I'll sit there and imagine <laughs> I'm playing Augusta and doing it by my handicap. You know, I've, I'm hitting. I've got a, like a four point two average score on the 12th at Augusta. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, you could have sold that in 2016. That's exactly Have you had the opportunity to travel around and play a bit of golf? Beyond no, there? unfortunately. I, um, you know, like I said, I'm just a lowly country dude with a lowly country job. So my, my travel options aren't that much. I play around the Riverland here in Barry and Barmer, Loxton. I play a lot of the local Opens. And just, that gives me my sense of competition. You know, they're normally Saturday and Sunday competi- uh, two-day competition. So that gives me my competition feel for the year. I have tried the last couple of years to get down to the Aboriginal State Championships in South Australia, but due to unforeseen circumstances and COVID and stuff like that, and haven't been successful in doing that. So my, my goal is still to get out and definitely go and play more courses around the place. Um I want to get down to Adelaide and play a few of them bigger courses down there and play a couple over the border. You know, travel's always difficult. They are a young family, you know, three-year-old daughter and oh, yeah, don't 13 take year them, old mate. son. Yeah, so, no, no, leave no, them at home, mate. Don't take no. them. That'd, that'd be mine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's been the thing with my love of golf. You know, you can only put the wife through so much. <laughs> so I've got to come home and do my share with the kids. Doesn't, doesn't Glenn sound like the prime candidate for a Scotland trip? Scotland and Ireland. Oh, for sure. The links. Oh, the, I would love to. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, the last name's got a bit of Scottish heritage to it. So, and yeah, that's my dream. Get over to Scotland, 
you know, I'd, if I ever, if I only play one different course in my lifetime and it's St. Andrews, I'd never have to play golf anywhere again. You really would I, think that, but you get greedy once you <laughs> Yeah, I've heard stories. That is true. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Glenn, I'm thinking about the journey that you've had and if you're like us, and I'm you know, including you, me and Logan, the people who sort of listen to these podcasts and whatnot, where golf's a bit more important than just a game or a recreation on a Saturday or a Wednesday for you. It is something bigger in your life. Yeah. That's the message that non-golfers don't get, including Indigenous non-golfers, I think. Have you got any thoughts, having come from that other world fairly recently, how do we, without being evangelical and annoying about it, get people to understand that this, this for a lot of people, is more than just a game? Most people I know, their life is immersed in golf, be it with their job or their job might be secondary. That Golf is their real driving force in life. Anything that's that powerful, I don't think that's true of most other sports, and certainly not in the numbers that you see in golf. There's something about that that's – you just want to shake people, don't you? And tell them yeah. You really got the wrong end of the stick about this game. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I, I think – you know, for me, uh, that's what it was. And if I was to approach it to, to get young Indigenous people, even older Indigenous people into golf, I think that's where it did go. You're not out there just worrying about having less strokes. Come out, enjoy the bush, enjoy the environment. If you hit it in the trees, that's fine. That's just another walk in the bush, yep. you know. if Have a look at the way the landscape's developed. If it, It's hard in the Riverland here because all of our courses are park courses. They're, they're council courses. Mm-hmm. So architecture isn't big. But the way I look at them, you can spot things mm-hmm. that have got stuff for architecture. And I think it, that that's probably the biggest thing is that education factor. And most people that first take up golf, they take it up as I'll just go and have a try. I failed. I shot 100 plus. I don't want to do this again. It wasn't fun. But that's because they're only focused on the stick and the ball. Look down, golfer. Mm-hmm. But look up. Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the jokes. Have a look around and just identify birds. Mm-hmm. You know, have have a look and think. If I hit the ball and it lands on that hill, which side of that hill? If I land it on which side of that hill, will the ball go? Is it more beneficial to land it on that side okay. of the hill? And let it try and, and run about, that way, like shaping it into the hill or something like that. You know that stuff. Yeah, gets interesting. Yeah, you know, play a silly shot. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Just have a crack and sort of find your love for it that way, not the way that golf sells itself. Of come in, buy your fourteen clubs, and try and get your handicap as low as you can. Who cares about the handicap? Mm. Just come out, enjoy being outside, enjoy the walk. It's beautiful grass. Yeah. <laughs> it's good exercise. Yeah, no question it's beautiful so, grass. Mm. Indeed. Like, yeah, I, I think that's it. It's the, you, you've got to find something else to fall in love with than just the score. Yeah. And, I think- and that, that's how I'd put golf to the community really. Yeah, and it's not a choice either. Like as Richard Feynman says, the beauty of a flower is available to me too. Yeah, now what you explained this once before. Can you run me through it again? What was he, some kind of scientist or something? Yeah, Richard Feynman, he was a famous scientist, but he also like he looked at the chemistry of a flower and, right. and you know examined it at a molecular level. But um, and people are like, oh, don't you? Doesn't that destroy the the, the what's fantastic of, of it? Yeah. And he said, no, the beauty of it is also still available to him. So I can just take it apart. But <laughs> just because I'm interested in how the components of it. But um, I think we do – you raised some good points there, Glenn. I think we we focus a lot within golf as well on the negatives. Yep. Like what's golf doing wrong? True. And Emma Ballard said this to us. Emma, Emma said it, I've been it, yeah. thinking about it ever it since. Keeps, I, I kept getting reminded of this. And I, I was going to mention Emma. Yeah. And But golf for you has been an overwhelming – positive experience it seems yeah pretty yeah, much from definitely. day one and yeah. uh, I, that's the sort of message i think we want to be getting out there so is. the question is how Logue? this is the this seems to be the speed bump for golf <laughs> i don't know that, that, <laughs> but yeah there is this question like golf is competing against other sports but and i think it measures up pretty well 
like you know for people into well, golf would say really that, into you? golf yeah. <laughs> but uh, i think cost wise for juniors in particular golf is very accessible um, it, where it's challenged though a little bit is in time where kids can go like i, I know uh, at um, uh, well, where i went to school um, cricket was the big summer sport and that you know you couldn't you couldn't fill some of the other sports like bi- basketball and stuff now, because cricket takes four or five hours or six hours or something of a Saturday and families want to be doing all sorts of other stuff on their Saturday, basketball has way overtaken it. The basketball teams go down to like the ninths or tenths or something like that. And the cricket, they can barely scrape together a firsts and seconds for cricket. And uh, it's... Where's the space for golf in that society? Is that a broader it's, it's concern? Tough. I mean, where does... Absolutely. That's the sort of thing I think golf needs to be aware of with juniors is that it's competing against basketball and, and, and not just shorter but, form. But that, well, that, in 15 years, they're not going to be juniors anymore. They're going to be the young adults who are driving sort of interest in sports. There's a broader question there for golf to think about. And I wonder whether what we don't do enough of in golf, um, which I think is an easier sell than cricket, we should be leaning into that, shouldn't we, Glenn? Everything else in this world is an hour and 20 minutes or it's only 15 minutes and they're always trying to make it shorter and shorter. Golf is a luxury where you can go and wallow in it for four hours yeah. oh, and yeah. really turn your phone off. and, and Eight and, hours if you do it right. Yeah, it's exactly. Whole, <laughs> make a whole thing of the whole I day. knew a bloke whose <laughs> wife was convinced that golf took 11 hours. <laughs> no, goal, no round of golf ever took less than 11 hours in her experience. I, I know yeah, a bloke like that well, too. You've, you've, always got a, you've always got a debrief. You, you can't just play four hours and say oh, to your lady, no, you have to debrief. Oh, you've got to warm up. You've got to, <laughs> that's right. yeah, yeah. Got to relax a little bit around the club, have a shower. Go, go, go back and play that hole that you double bogeyed another three or four times. <laughs> um, but I just wonder, Glenn, what do you reckon about that? Could you sell that? message to people that's almost a golf golf almost becomes a disruptor in that sense doesn't it it's the one sport that takes longer and celebrates it and i I think that's you know that's always a big thing you know everyone like like adrian was saying everyone plans their sport around okay you've got so we'll talk junior footy you've got mini league uh, under 13s under 15s in the morning but you know there at the at the footy oval everyone plays and then you're expected to stick around afterwards and watch the upper grades go until they grade so you end up making a day of it there's nothing saying that the kids that play football at seven o'clock in the morning they play for two and a half hours go home have a feed by the time they get out to the golf club it's 12 o'clock they've got four hours in the winter to still come out and have a hit Go and play nine holes. Go play three holes. It's just, it's just getting that bit of extra time in. Uh, we've we've got one junior at our club that plays his football in the morning, but his name's still down on the sheet every Saturday, every Sunday, in the afternoon when he's ready to go and play his golf. How how far in the distant past are those glory days for you, Logue? I can't even remember. There was a time when you might have played footy in the morning and gone and played oh, golf in the afternoon. Yeah, just the thought of that. <laughs> pretty exhausting. But, yeah, I definitely would have. I remember one time I went water skiing in the morning. What? Well, I, I'm not a water skier, as you can imagine. But I this mate of ours in Maitland had a uh, got a boat. They won lotto, actually, and they got a boat. And the whole thing, they bought golf clubs it for themselves. It never ends with and, you, does it? The, the and a, depth of surprises. <laughs> and they got a golf buggy, which meant we could, we could a couple of us juniors, we could uh, hop in that golf buggy and get As around. As in a driving fi- Yeah, right. get around 54 holes a day, actually. It was fantastic. But anyway, they, they did all this stuff. They went to Disneyland. They got, part of this was they got a boat and they took me water skiing. And I felt like my arms had been pulled out of my sockets. <laughs> well, they kind of had. <laughs> and we went out for a game of golf afterwards, and I could barely hold the club, but I shot the lights out because I was just like so, this so feather grip. Like and, yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. Everything was loose. Yeah. You've never water skied again. No, but I've tried to recreate that feeling, but it didn't, <laughs> didn't work. Uh, indeed. You mentioned Glenn. I think that, sorry. You, I think that, sorry. I, I think that's probably, you know, if anything, that's probably what people look at is it takes four hours to play around. And a lot of parents go, well, I'm not going to leave my kids at the golf club for four hours on their own just in case they get up to mischief or take off. So, you know, that, and that's where I think shortening the game. Go out, play six holes. Hmm. You can do that in an hour. Yeah. Do you go play three. You can do that in half an hour. 
just any little thing to catch that bug. Because yeah. once you catch it, and especially once you start to appreciate it, it, it just grows and grows. It It's a lot like yeah. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> if you get it, it just hangs around. Yeah. <laughs> There's a comparison I hadn't thought of, but uh, <laughs> nicely done. Yeah, you Might mean- not be a good one. <laughs> long COVID. Yeah, you mentioned something there, Glenn. You've got young kids. What's yep. What's been your experience with and have you tried? Has there any been any introduction? To go? What I was thinking when you were talking, like, funnily enough, I think one of the easiest paths into the game for kids is to take them along and let them steer the cart. They'll be hooked on mm-hmm. golf at the age of five or six. All they want to do is go to the golf course because they get to steer the cart. It's a good first step. Surely from there you can encourage a club and move on from there. What's been your interaction with your own kids about golf? My boy was like that. He never wanted to come to the golf club with me unless he could drive the cart. So that was what we did. We let him drive the cart. He had a ball. So I eventually got him into juniors. He played in the – we had a hit in the junior clinic for a while. It it grew on him for three or four months, and then he shifted away from it. And that that was fine. You know, he had a taste. He – every now and then he wants to come out. Uh, Last year, he's PE teacher. He – they had some little competition planned and they had two teachers and two students and one of the students asked Quinton if he wanted to come out and play some golf. He was keen. He hadn't played for nearly a year, but he was back in the room swinging the clubs and he wanted to get out and have a hit. So he got bit. So we went back out and we had a few hits around and nothing serious, just tried to get him to catch the bug again. Yep. So he's got it gently. My my three-year-old daughter she she's my prodigy i i've got she's got her little plastic clubs and she's had them since her first birthday so she bashes around and she'll hit on the putting mat with me in the room here and um i was only talking to the wife before we were the two nights ago uh, she bought me the rules of golf rna rules of golf book and we had to lay down and read that. So I read her three pages of the rules of golf <laughs> okay. and she was Fantastic. She was interested. She was turning pages and very keen at the age of three. So I thought, okay, okay. daddy's in. I've, I've got, I'm getting you hooked and we're going that's to get amazing. you hooked through the rules. That's, I don't think even Simon so, Magdalski no, reads the rules of golf <laughs> to his children. But they certainly wouldn't be listening if <laughs> he was. That's, uh, I'll, that's quite I'll be honest, after a page and a half, <laughs> you'd, I, you'd had enough. I was ready to put the book down. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, love, there's an app for this. You can download it on your phone. You don't yep. need me reading it to It's interesting though, Glenn, because you talk about that there. I think one of golf's great strengths is it's the game you can come back to. I don't think you you need to get kids into golf and that they've got to stay with it. Some will. There'll be a certain percentage that will because they'll take it. But if they can come back to it, Clates has talked about this, I think, guys he went to school with who played a bit of golf and who still to this day play off five, eight, ten, you know, decent sort of handicaps because they played when they were younger. And other guys who were great at cricket and and never tried golf Mm. came to it at 45 or 50 and they're hopeless. Mm Mm-hmm. And the game's miserable. It's less enjoyable than it should be for them because they didn't have that exposure early on. So it's not a giant drama if kids go away from it because golf is the great game to come back to, isn't it? Yeah, that, and that's it. And that, that's why I think the one club thing is, is yeah. a great idea. You know, you introduce them to golf with that yeah. and then you let them go out and let them explore whatever sport they want to play. Let them, let them have their fun. Golf's always going to be there. And, you know, it, it's – you know, for for a young Indigenous kid, you know, they grow up wanting to be that AFL footballer. But by the time you're 15, 16, 17, you might realise, I'm not going to make it as AFL footballer, but I've got athletic talent, natural talent. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I was pretty good with that golf club. I might go and swing that for a while and see where that'll take me. Yeah. That I think it's just starting that fire. Yeah. You know, have, having something in the background that you can just go and have a hit and then, yeah, it, it's planting the seed mm-hmm. of golf. That That's where I think we need to do a lot more work in yeah. the golf community is just planting the right seed, yeah. not the scoring seed, not no. the handicap seed. You've got to plant the, the look-up seed. The fun seed, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a beautifully uh, beautifully put. And, of course, that's true not just for Indigenous communities but for all, for women and for young people. They're the message yeah. that we've sort of got to get across. It does raise the importance of a role model, though, too, doesn't it, Glenn? You mentioned early on that sort of VJ Singh was somebody you looked up to because you saw some similarities there. You know, you can't see it, can't be it, and all those sorts of things. There's something very important about 
the first really successful Indigenous golfer. Scott Gardner is probably mm-hmm. our most successful yep. Indigenous golfer to this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Terrific bloke, Scott, and you know, had a terrific career at golf. But that becomes really important, doesn't it? And that's not just an Indigenous thing. When you were growing up and I was growing up, we looked at Greg Norman. It was like, that's yeah. amazing. You know, for Jason Day and Tony Fino, they've spoken openly about seeing Tiger Woods. And it was like, well, that's the game for me because that's the guy who's cool. And that's uh, ironically, there's uh, Tiger Woods hasn't seemed to have had the impact on golf that everybody thought he would have in terms of inclusion. It just it hasn't happened. Yeah, well, and there's a bunch of reasons for that, obviously, too, isn't it? Particularly in America. The cost of getting into golf in Particularly America, in city and urban yeah. areas, which yeah. is where you find the majority of yeah. the African-American. It's something we're not saddled with in Australia. So, you know, it We've got the assumes opposite. the question of, like, why... Yeah, we're cheap to get into golf here. Yeah. So it assumes the question of why, why aren't we making it happen? Mm. And it probably comes down to attitudes, but... Or advertising golf in some way, the better way. It's always complicated. It's just like a hairball. Every you pull one over here, it has these unintended consequences over here that you sort of thought of. What's your – do you feel like some sort of an advocate, Glenn? I mean, you went looking for some Indigenous golf content and couldn't find it, so now we're here talking. We're creating some. Does that inspire you? What's the – I I, I guess in a way. I I don't see myself as an advocate or anything like that. I'm just a – Aboriginal man that loves the game of golf and I think there's more people out there, Aboriginal or non-Aboriginal, that could love the game of golf. Now, you spoke of Scott Gardner. I I grew up here and never heard nothing about him until a year ago. Right. I was doing the same thing, Googling Aboriginal golf in Australia and after scrolling five or six different stories, uh, his name popped up. I never knew that there was a Aboriginal PGA player, right? You know, our I guess closest thing to that growing up when I was younger was Jason Day, because mm-hmm. he was a coloured man from Australia, and we thought he, I thought he was Aboriginal. Right. So again, so to to find about a um, little bit out about Scott was was great. I thought that was awesome, but again, that was I don't know. Golf media was to me wasn't that big. When he was playing, it was still sort of, you've said it a few times, It's golf's got its own media yeah. and only golf people listen to it yeah. uh, or only golf people read it because the podcast situation wasn't as predominant back then, I guess. And so then the names don't get out there. You, you don't see the stories. Like, uh, as I mentioned, I had to dig fairly deep even to find out about Sky and her accomplishments, and as she said, just only just stumbled across the game. All of a sudden, she's one of Darwin's top female players, and it's things like that. You stumble across golf. Yeah, yeah. you stumble across information. Yeah, golf really hasn't had its um, like Kathy Freeman moment, or you know Scott yeah. Boland in cricket. Um, you know, that Ash Barty in tennis. Ash Barty, yeah. You know, it, what... as soon as Ash Barty retired from tennis and people started speculating <laughs> and when they said she might go to golf, I thought this is great. That's probably the best thing that could happen for golf. She could be our advocate for sure. She will me, be, I'm but just... not necessarily as a professional golfer. No. There, there's a lot of golf in her future, but not necessarily. As it a won't be on the LPGA tour. She's, yeah. she's smart enough to know that too. She knows what it takes to get <laughs> gen- genuinely good at something. And I think that, uh, that time's passed for her with golf. Although she's no question, she's a she's a uh, a seriously good player. The, what works against these things? Like it's it's hard to when you don't have a role model. It's hard to kind of be the first, isn't it? There's got to be out there somewhere. Is there out there somewhere? I'll ask you first, Logan, then you. And is there out there somewhere that the the Aboriginal Tiger Woods or Greg Norman or Adam Scott who's going to be and bring up take all of the pressure of being that person forward with them. Perhaps I've just noted Sky Lambert in our potential guests. Beautiful. <laughs> there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it is funny. I've in preparation for this episode as well. I've been googling, you know, Indigenous golf and Aboriginal golf, and coming up, uh, you know, same as you, Glenn. Same experience that you had, not finding much at all, and uh, particularly not finding much from you know the governing bodies' websites. Yeah. And, uh, and and I think that's been a big thing is what I noticed. Like with Golf Australia, they've there's only been snippets. Like the the national championship that was on, I only found one story about that, and it was only posted on Facebook. Yeah. I couldn't even find it on Twitter. 
Yeah. So I've I put the link onto my page on Twitter. Um, there was a story about uh, where are we? Uh, First Nations boys make golf history. Uh, on the, oh, on the PGA website, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, on the PGA website, I yeah. never knew anything about that. So I put a link of that onto my Twitter page. It, it, just trying to get that awareness that they're 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 out there. There they might be that young yeah. Tiger Woods, Adam Scott figure out there yeah. that could not carry Aboriginal golf. But just lift it up. Certainly, like shine, shine on it. Just, just make people aware of it. Make yeah. it make it an option for a bunch of Indigenous kids in the future. Yeah, to yeah. be able to look up and say, "Hey, you know, that's who I'd like to be." That yeah. we, you, you want to go and earn yourself five million dollars for hitting a little <laughs> ball around a, around a park. You make it. Great you make it sound it. so easy, Glenn. <laughs> like we should all give that a shot. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that'd be great. Well, mate, it's been fabulous to catch up with you. It's an interesting conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. I reckon we might touch base with you again at uh, some point. I reckon you're going to go off and start doing a bit of advocating, even though you didn't realise you were going to. And I, and I think that'd be interesting. It'd be, it'd be. I can put you in touch with Sandy if you like. He'd be more than – in fact, Sandy would be over the moon, I'm sure, to chat to you about the potential for one club in these situations. If you can see something there, uh, I'll put the two of you in touch. And I'd just be interested to see what sort of response you get and how things kind of work out and whether there's potential there. It needs more than obviously one or two people, individuals, doing the advocating. But by the same token, golf's always survived – on that as well. I remember my club captain saying to me many years ago, it's a good thing this is a voluntary role because you couldn't pay a bloke enough to do it, to be the club captain. <laughs> yeah. And there's a real truth to that, and it's a, it's one of golf's strengths, whether it's right or wrong, it's one of golf's strengths. So I reckon yeah, I can see I, that in your I, I think that's sort of where the stage I'm at now. You know, like, like I said, I've, my experience with golf has created the passion and the love that I've got for it now. Yep. I think my next step is in my role is to try and give back, and that, that that's, you know, like I said, when I sent you their messages, that was I was only trying to seek some information. So, for you to let me get my voice out and bring some awareness to it, it, it I, you know, I just want other people to start talking. I think yep. that's what it will do: create conversation, yep. create some interest, and you know, maybe we can try and put something together in writing or podcast wise, and that'll bring more ears to it again. The, the sort of things like that. It, it's exposure. Yep, it, if we get some more exposure, we, we start making inroads. That's right. We all live in a world, don't we, where somebody else is always going to take care of things, but we all do have a bit of a responsibility, so it's been good of you to uh, take some time today and take on a bit of that responsibility yourself. Thank you for sending that message to me, Glenn, mm-hmm. and thanks for agreeing oh, to come worries. on the show. It would have been very easy to say no, but I'm glad that you did because yes. I, think, I think we've added something fairly substantial in terms of the relevance to the coverage that's already out there about an issue that, uh, as I said, I think is uh, it's not going to go away, certainly, and something that we can talk about more in the future. But thanks for your time today, mate. been great. No, thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. And even though I was shocked and very nervous, so <laughs> thanks for making me feel welcome and thanks for listening. Wait till you get the invoice. Uh, <laughs> these spots don't come cheap. Logue, good to catch up with you today. And I thought that was an interesting and it's, it was just left field enough for us and our whatever remaining audience we have. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is one of those topics where we – probably lose listeners and uh, I, I think and but then we probably gain a couple as well and I think uh, overall I've, I've always weirdly thought of that as a signal that we're doing the right thing absolutely <laughs> I don't know I don't, I don't know if I can I don't really know explain how you that convince both of us but, of that yeah, you to <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah I'm, I'm a lost listener talks <laughs> a lost listener talks and then the person they talk to goes and listens perhaps yeah yeah listeners and, and find out what that controversy was i think it, it gives that lost listener something to think about as well like they'll reflect on things later and think oh you know what i just i might come back around to that later on and listeners are like golf shots like the less of them you have the more successful you are i think that's that's kind absolutely. of where we're going aren't we absolutely yeah. and in that in that instance we are leading the field and good on us that's episode 131 of the good good golf podcast hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking and we'll be back again to do it all again next week with jimmy emmanuel on board here on the good good golf podcast